0: Russia continues its nuclear terror threats while Ukraine is proceeding with counter-offensive and discusses reconstruction plans with partners. You're listening to the podcast Explain Ukraine. Explain Ukraine is a podcast by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. This is our weekly episode in which we discuss key events and trends in and around Ukraine, Over the past week from June 17th until June 23rd, 2023. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, the chief editor of Ukraine World. I'm joined by Maxim Panchenko and Anastasia Herosimchuk, analysts and journalists at Ukraine World. Let me remind you that Ukraine World is brought to you by Internet Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraine world. Maxim and Nastya, thank you so much for joining this conversation and let us talk about the key events and trends in Ukraine over the past week. Maxim, let me address you. The floor is yours. What are they?
1: Uh, Hello, Volodya. Yes, uh, we're going to discuss the major events of the last seven days. So, first of all, of course, we're going to uh, analyze how the counteroffensive is going, why the pace may be slower than expected. We're going to talk about the continued Russian strikes at Ukrainian peaceful cities at night. Uh, We're also going to touch upon the continuing fallout of the Kochovka Dem explosion and the situation around the Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant how it is deteriorating, and we'll crown a all with the discussion of the recent Ukraine recovery conference that was held in London a couple of days back.
0: So let us start with the counteroffensive, and as, as of course this is the most uh, important, well, one of the most important topics today, uh, what is happening there? What is happening in precisely uh, Ukraine's attempt to reconquer territories in the south and eastern uh, of the country which are occupied by the Russians? Maxim?
1: Yes, so indeed the counteroffensive seems to have already begun and this is no sh- no secret anymore, but there seems to be a misinterpretation and difference in interpretations, I would say, as to how different people in different countries expect this counteroffensive to go because Ukraine has indeed uh, had some territorial gains. It has liberated around 113 square kilometers of uh, the occupied territories and has gone around seven kilometers deep in uh, into the enemy lines. However, what uh, needs to be understood is that Ukraine is now carrying out basically the preparatory uh, stage of the counteroffensive because we are now trying to create conditions and to isolate the territories that uh, we are going to try to reconquer. I think I would urge our listeners to think about this as about the Kherson operation. It was not a point-blank uh, battle between the two uh two infantrys so to say the russian and ukrainian infantry this is basically uh ukraine's attempt to isolate this uh, this territory to shoot out the artillery of the enemy to try to stop the logistical support of russian troops and thus make them so vulnerable that they will decide either to retract or to give in, or in a, in a way to admit Ukraine's victory, as it was the case uh, near Kherson on the right bank of the Dnipro River. So, that would be the lines along which I would like our listeners to think about what is going on uh, about Ukraine's counteroffensive these days.
0: Yes, I will agree with that. And we just returned from the east. We talked to the soldiers who are working both on the eastern direction. Uh, near Bakhmut or near Liman, and on the southern direction, um, south of Zaporizhia. We, so the idea is, of course, to cut the Russian occupation troops by half in the southern of Ukraine. And indeed, the counteroffensive is going slowly, it's going uh, gradually. Uh, one of the reasons is, of course, Ukraine cherishes the lives of soldiers much more than Russians. So therefore, there is no such a big push. But at the same time, um, it is going and we see that a number of villages have been already uh, liberated, right? We are talking about a number of villages uh, uh, primarily to the south, uh, in the southern part of Ukraine. But there is another um, an, another story, and the story is that um, the, the mining, the story of the mines, because... Uh, Uh, What we hear from the soldiers is that these territories Russians have, especially to the south, Russians have prepared a lot for the Ukrainian counteroffensive, therefore they mined uh, a big number of, of these territories and therefore this complicates, of course. If Ukrainians are trying to penetrate the occupied territories with the equipment, including the equipment supplied by the international partners, um, this equipment can actually face the, the minefields and can um, sometimes get exploded over the mines. So, Maxim, uh, what is in this field? What, what can we say about this mining?
1: Well, indeed, mining is the major problem, and this is the major problem why Ukraine is uh, pushing forward so slowly. But I would not, again, this is about the wordings. I would not say that this is about the slower pace. It's about being cautious. It's indeed, like you pointed out, is about saving the lives and... uh, After that, also the machinery that Ukraine has at its uh, disposal. So from what I understand, Ukraine needs to, first of all, now to exhaust Russian forces, especially to the south, because it is a clearer image at this point uh, in the south. And then after... Uh, Russia's, uh, Russian troops will have less protection from the skies. Uh, I mean, the, their air defense, which we are now trying to shoot out with our artillery, less artillery fire from their part, uh, less aviation support from their part. Uh, so basically, when Ukrainians have less to fear from different directions when they move forward, then we, we are going to be able to be uh, more... Uh, well, to to move forward quicker through those mines, we'll have time and have and we'll be able to pay enough attention to the mines of uh, to, to the mines on the ground is what I'm trying to say. So again, this is uh, about the bigger picture here. Why are we uh, now being this cautious? Because there are these different elements of the Russian defense that need to be taken out, and that, by the way, is going on very uh, very uh, successfully, or at least as successful as you could uh, expect. Uh, one should see the uh, figures that are provided on a daily basis by by Ukraine's general staff, and our listeners can find those daily updates on our uh, on our resources on Twitter, for instance, and on Facebook, on Ukraine World. So we will see that the amount of the artillery and the aviation that Ukrainians uh, have been able to shoot out in the Russian front lines has increased dramatically since the start of the counteroffensive. So indeed, this is now about this uh, battle of logistics and indeed demining, as you said.
0: This is true. There are more losses on the Russian side, but there are also more losses from the Ukrainian side. And unfortunately, every counteroffensive also means the the more deaths of of both parties uh, and primarily the party that is trying to attack. On the other side we also need to n- need to understand that uh, there is a difference compared to the way how Ukrainians were liberating the Kharkiv oblast in September 2022 when Russians were absolutely unprepared with the new for the new arms armaments for example the HIMARS uh, multi rocket launch systems which were very precise and which destroyed the accumulated Depots of of Russian military and of Russian ammunition. Uh, Russians were also not prepared, apparently, for the uh, for for Ukrainian counteroffensive in Kyiv, oblast, in uh, late March, early April, 2022, and not very well prepared, maybe, for Ukraine's attack on Kherson. But now it seems that they are better prepared um this is this is what we have on the ground and this is creates more difficulties for the Ukrainian army at the same time we see that morale of the Russian army is going down and therefore we see all those you know quarrels public quarrels between prigozhin and shoigu and uh, just yesterday there was another very emotional and very uh very hard uh, speech by prigozhin that actually in this, if this pace is maintained, then Ukraine will soon be in Crimea. We also should take critically these statements, understanding that there is a kind of a conflict and a kind of a game inside Russian military, and it doesn't necessarily mean that what Prigozhin says is really true. But there are obviously some cracks inside the Russian system as well. Let me address the issue that we've discussed so uh, widely and we continue to discuss its Kachovka Dam explosion. And I would like to address Nastya uh, so that, um, Nastya, you could summarize what's happening now. Maybe the figures of the casualties of the dead people and wounded people we already know and what's happening on the ground.
2: The situation in and around Kakhovka uh, dam explosion and in Kherson region is uh, still extremely important and worth attention. Uh, now, the water level in flooded areas of Kherson Oblast is gradually dropping, and it makes it possible to assess the approximate numbers of, of casualties uh, that were caused by this disaster by Russians um, who blasted the Kakhovka dam. So it is possible to make these preliminary calculations on the territories which are under Ukrainian control um, because it's very difficult to reach to the data um, from occupied territories. So if we talk about the liberated territories of Kherson Oblast, Uh, According to preliminary data, we say preliminary because the um, numbers are changing gradually because the uh, works are going on in the region, the um, costs of damage and the number of casualties are still being calculated. So for now, we have the information that 21 people were killed and 28 were wounded. Uh, If we talk about the missing people, here we count... Uh, the amounts on both uh, parts of Kherson Oblast occupied and liberated. And now uh, the um, Ukrainian services uh, got 109 uh, addresses of people who uh, report their relatives or acquaintances missing. If we talk about the left bank of Kherson Oblast, which is under Russian occupation, the situation is really, really dire. And according to official reports, um, occupation authorities uh, tell about 11 people killed, but we understand that real numbers are much higher. And there is information about Russian military creating special units who are supposed to cover the consequences of this disaster. So they just find uh, dead bodies and they just put them somewhere. They hide them and they don't even lead to... um uh they even don't let uh, doctors to uh, understand what was the cause of the death so we understand that Russians uh, currently are using the same tactics they used in Mariupol um according to the national resistance uh, center um if, in Oleshky city alone, there are at least 500 people killed. So we are talking just about one city, which was so heavily heavily damaged. Uh, so the precise number is unknown. And if we talk about the situation in Oleshky itself, for example, there is a terrible stench in the city. This huge system doesn't work. And Almost everywhere is without electricity and drinking water. So it is a real disaster and people keep suffering and occupation authorities don't do anything to improve the situation. They keep uh, carrying on filtration uh, actions. They don't give any aid to people. And what they started doing now, they're concealing the evidence of their crime.
0: Indeed, this is a huge crime, and as we said uh, on our website and in, and repeatedly on this podcast, uh, the consequences of this ecocide crime, one of the major crimes in this war, despite the fact that this war is full of horrible crimes, but this is indeed one of the major uh, crimes, um, they will be felt uh, for in decades to come. And as we see for some towns like Oleski or some villages, it's it's a real question whether the life will come back here uh for fully full life you know because indeed the 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 towns which were underwater which lack electricity which lack drinking water there is a big big problem for them to uh, recover uh but there is another looming probable disaster which is related to also to the Kachovka dam because it's related to nuclear power plant, the biggest in Europe, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which uh, was under risk of Russian attacks since already 2014. And now the, uh, the situation around it is really, really worrying, while Ukraine uh, um, says that Russia has mined the cooling pool at the nuclear power plant. Nastya, can you elaborate on this?
2: Indeed, the Parisian nuclear power plant has been in the epicenter of attention since uh, Russian forces uh, occupied it. So uh, for m- months, we uh, hear about the risks of terrorist acts uh, committed by, by Russians, or uh, we know about very dangerous manures by Russian forces uh, on the territory of the Parisian nuclear power plant and around it. We also saw, um, the cases when missiles were flying above the Parisian nuclear power plant and it all uh, poses the risks of nuclear uh, to nuclear security. Uh, currently the risks are getting higher and the situation around the Parisian nuclear power plant is becoming increasingly tense. it is connected not only to the explosion of kahoka dam uh, which provided water for the cooling system. Uh, cooling pools uh, of reactors in the Parisian NPP. Uh, Regarding this situation, for now, the situation is controllable. The problem now is connected with the mining of this cooling pool. Uh, According to military intelligence head Kirill Budanov, Russians have mined the cooling pool at the NPP, uh, which poses a huge threat and we know that uh, one reactor um, now is uh, functioning at the l- lowest pace. So if um, the uh, reactor will not get this cooling, if the pool is destru- destroyed, uh, then we have about 25-24 hours before the radiation starts Um, getting out of the reactor and the uh, disaster will be huge. And uh, President Zelensky, he also warned about uh, Russian uh, plans to carry out this terrorist act at the nuclear power plant uh he told that Russia is considering these plans and the preparations uh, have already been done to do so that's why now it is very important to attract the global attention uh to call on the international community to help prevent this disaster and uh, today uh now while we are recording this podcast the um the meeting of the UN Security Council is taking place uh the US and um Uh, Albania uh, called it on. So this situation is being discussed right now. And the Ukrainian foreign ministry is also trying to attract uh, attention of international community to this problem, pointing that uh, nuclear, that radiation doesn't have borders. And the consequences of such a terrorist act cannot be predicted. So it is very important not to let it happen, not let it happen, but prevents in the most effective way possible.
0: At the same time, we don't know how to prevent it, actually, because Russia controls it and uh, it shows by the exploding, the Kachovka Dam, that it is ready to go to uh, horrible crimes affecting ecosystems, affecting nature, affecting dramatic changes to to nature and to uh, ecological and environment situation uh and the question is of course how much still rationality the russian army has let us talk about uh the russian army which continues to strike ukrainian cities with missiles and kamikaze so what happened over the past week maxim
1: yes indeed this is a story in the making as it has been for so much time for pretty much the entire war and we have discussed this as a a continuous topic during the previous uh podcasts and this week uh, again, these attacks on Ukrainian peaceful cities have been continuing. Uh, the two biggest episodes uh, happened on the 20th and 23rd of uh, so this night, basically of June. The first among these uh, was an attack on several major Ukrainian cities: Lviv, Zaporizhia, and uh, Kyiv. And while most of the uh, Shahed drones and uh, missiles were shot down, I believe in this attack all. All means of attack, but two uh, from among thirty were shot down. But still, a couple uh, hit uh, the target uh, in Lviv or Lviv oblast. And uh, there is scarce information about what this was. But they tell it, they tell the uh, Ukrainians that uh, this was an infrastru- critical infrastructure object. And uh, a couple of uh, nights later, this night, basically, there was also uh, an attack when 13 cruise missiles were shot at Ukraine, but all of them have been shot down. So I think that what is going on is uh, basically double fold because on the one hand Ukraine, sorry, Russia wants to keep, wants to make Ukraine keep as much air defense facilities as possible uh, away from the front lines, meaning to make Ukrainian authorities protect big cities uh, because Russians are shooting at those cities and that way Ukraine, Ukrainian authorities cannot move, for instance, all Patriots to the front lines or the Irish to the front line, to the front lines, for instance. Uh, so that's one, that's, that's a strategic thing. And secondly, for instance, uh, this night from what I hear, uh, Russia tried to uh, attack in this, uh, in this, uh, missile attack, uh, an airfield in the region. So my guess would be that of course, counteroffensives do not happen without any uh, air support. In this case, Ukrainian counteroffensive and thus Ukrainian uh, air support. And even though Ukrainians have not yet received the F 16s, and this also is a story in the making, Ukraine is going to receive them a couple of months later. But still, my guess is that Ukraine is trying to use what it has which is the, uh, it, its own Soviet-made uh, aviation, and Russia might be targeting uh, the airfields in the rear of Ukraine where the, uh, those aviation means are stationed in order to uh, abate Ukrainian uh, facilities and Ukrainian potential in the counteroffensive and to make Ukrainian troops more vulnerable that way in the front lines. So that would be my guess.
0: Thank you, Maxim. Thank you for this uh, analysis. And indeed, one of the weak points of this Ukrainian counteroffensive is that Ukrainian capacity in the skies are not uh, not ideal. And therefore, there was this campaign for F- F-16, which, uh, which probably will not arrive to Ukraine until early next year. Last topic for today is that despite the war, there is a, a big international conversation about recovery, uh, reconstruction. And uh, the Ukraine Recovery Conference was held in London in, in the last couple of days. What are the results of this conference, Nastya?
2: The main results of this conference are, of course, in the financial area. So uh, when we talk about what Ukraine is going to get from its partners and donors, uh, it is a quite considerable amount of funds. So Ukraine is set to receive 60 billion euros to finance its recovery. And uh, what is very important here now, we are talking not only about the partner states, but also about private companies who are ready to invest in Ukraine and to invest in Ukrainian recovery. So... um, Around 500 companies from 42 countries are going to take part. Uh, in the process of recovering Ukraine. And we also talk about uh, partner states such as the United States of America, Switzerland, and we, of course, talk about the EU. So the EU promised to cover 45% of all Ukraine's financing needs uh, until two, 2027. And the, the EU is going to use grants, grants, loans, and also um, frozen Russia's assets. Um but when we are talking about such events, it's not, um, imp- it's not only important to talk about financial side of it. It is also the image and credibility side. So, uh, Ukraine was not just asking for money. Ukraine managed to present the projects and plans that, um, evoke interest even in, uh, private donors such, uh, inter- such as international companies. What is also important to note here is that recovery is not, uh, recovery and rebuilding is not only a post-war issue. So to rebuild Ukraine after war, we need to make plans now. We need to be ready to launch and implement these projects the moment, uh, the ground is ready for that. And the government also tells about the plans to recover some parts, some sectors already now without waiting, waiting for the ending of the war. So even though the situation is difficult and we don't know what is expecting us tomorrow, we still need to be ready uh, to rebuild our country. And uh, the fact that our partners and donors are ready to do it and that they are ready to invest their money is a good sign.
0: Sure, uh, sure. You you cannot wait until the end of the war to to rebuild cities, to rebuild homes. Uh, at the same time, there is always the talk well, where should the money go, whether should they first go to the military side to achieve victory, because without victory, no reconstruction is viable, Viable, right? Or they should go uh, step by step into reconstruction because... People need to live somewhere, there should be infrastructure, schools should be be working, hospitals should be working. So, of course, there should be some balance uh, in, in this issue as well. Thank you Nastya and Maxim, thank you for uh, providing this analysis. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World. This was our weekly episode in which we covered events in and around Ukraine from the June uh, 17th until June 23rd, 2023. Uh, My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, the chief editor of Ukraine World. Uh, I was joined by Maxim Panchenko and Anastasia Heresemchuk, analysts and journalists at Ukraine World. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.